Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. My name is Joachim Erikson, and I'm kind of having a hard time, you guys. I don't know. I mean, I, it shouldn't be a surprise that I'm having a hard time. It's like I was offered this job in a new place, and it's a very difficult job. And I accepted it, and I came down here for it, and I'm doing it, and the job is really not the problem. The job is actually going really well. The job is really, really difficult, and there's one thing I know how to do, and it's this job, so I'm like gonna do it. It's making me feel good that it's like, I'm gonna make this look easy, you know? That part's good. It's everything else. <laughs> it's everything else. I'm just so lonely, you guys. I don't know anyone here. I moved to a new place again. Like, why do I keep doing this? I'm 37 years old and I still haven't figured it out that it's like, I keep being miserable and I keep thinking that I'm miserable because of the place I'm living in. And then I go to a new place and it's like, well, now I'm just gonna figure out how to be miserable in a new place. Or maybe it's some sort of bell curve of happiness where it's like, in the beginning I hate it, and then I do have like a good time at some point. Like there's some point there in the middle where I always have a good time. And maybe I'm just built for moving to a new city every two, three years. You know, new country every 10. Maybe that's just the track I'll always be on. <clears throat> maybe I should just accept that and not fight it and just check it. Just be with it. So now I'm going to be here for three years and then... I'm going to leave America. That's the track I'm on, you know? Did three years in Seattle and three years in Grass Valley, and now I'm going to do three years here. I just don't have any friends. And the job is good. The thing that's actually stressing me out is finding an apartment. It's like I get here, my first day of work is February 1st. I arrived the night before. That's what I talked about last episode. And then it's like I'm staying for free in this company apartment. And I only, I have February. And then during February, I need to find a different place. But, and now it's February 14th and I still haven't found a place. And I, I'm going to Thailand on vacation on February 25th. So I really only have 11 more days. And everyone has been telling me how impossible it is to find an apartment. And everyone's been saying like, everyone's saying that it's impossible or take, takes months multiple months and I have 11 days and I've looked at 10 apartments I've applied for three apartments I don't know it's it's funny because I I've I there was this one that I looked the last one that I applied for it's like I find this guy on the internet it looks good I see it I go meet him meet him and he shows me the apartment and it's just like he's just like an Iranian guy and it's like this Iranian family and they own all seven units in this building. And this is a guy and he's real relaxed about it. Or, or not relaxed, but he's very like matter of fact, where you can tell that he's mostly making his own judgment call about people. And he just made it seem like it's cool and that I can, that he likes me enough. And so I felt so good after that. And then I apply and he's like, yeah, that looks good. I need some bank statements though. And then I send him some bank statements and then it starts to fall apart. Cause he like, I send him four, four 
statements from different accounts of showing just that I have money and stuff. And he's like, well, the one you sent me, it doesn't, he couldn't even open the fucking attachments. And then it's like, do I explain more? Do I like keep calling him and like explain how a PDF works to get an apartment? Or do I just like not bother him? Like what's going on in his head? And I'm getting really desperate. So it's it's a weird desperate, like I'm not used to feeling desperate like this. Where I'm like, I'm Googling him to see like, can I find him online and can I figure out like what he likes? His email is, has the word soccer in it. So I know that he likes soccer. What else? But really, there's a weird um, dynamic where I actually feel worse than I've felt in a very, very long time because I'm on the cusp of, I'm so close to it. Like he just, I'm just waiting for him to, like I sent him the statements today, talked to him on the phone today. I'm just waiting for him to text me or something and be like, all right, fine, you want it? And then I'll sign and then I'll give him money and then it's locked in. And that'll be so good. And once that happens, so much of my life is locked in. But it's like, it's because it's so close, I feel terrible. I'm, there's something about the closeness of how everything is about to be resolved. There's something about the closeness that's making me feel like I'm not allowing myself to feel good about it yet. So it's making me feel worse than ever. Like I'm so anxious and it's making me really, really low functioning where, and I'm, I'm aware of it as it's happening. It's making me like have such elevated, like such spikes of anxiety where I can tell that like the way I feel right now, I have to go on Instagram and I don't keep Instagram on my phone. But so like I'll, I'll, I'll have the thought and I'll be like, I have to go on Instagram and just sit on Instagram and look at memes for a bit. And then I have to go to YouTube and just watch like YouTube shorts of stand-up comedians saying boring stuff. There's something about it that just blankets the whole mind. And I can like I can tell that that's what I'm about to do now. And I can tell that it's not what I should be doing and that it's not good self-care and that's actually going to make me feel worse. And then I'm like, as I'm walking over to the computer and saying to myself, oh yeah, I'll just watch five minutes of Instagram. At the same time, I'm like, well, I know that it's not five minutes. I know that it's like, it's the whole day. I'm just going to spend the whole day not doing anything. I'm just going to be on my computer and just like read a Wikipedia article and then do Instagram for 15 minutes and then do Facebook for 15 minutes and then do YouTube shorts for 15 minutes, constantly flipping between things. The the thing being not the content that I'm watching, but the act of constantly flipping between content. It's like the flipping between the content is the thing that's numbing. The new, that that one second of trying to figure out, okay, so what's this thing? Nah, that's boring. Okay, so what's this thing? Nah, that's boring. Like that tempo is the thing that's numbing somehow when you're incredibly anxious. And then I was going to go, I, I had the day off today and I was going to look at more apartments and I just couldn't. I was just so low functioning that I just was on my computer in bed, was on my phone in bed, didn't look at a single apartment, didn't do anything. And then at one point at like 1.30 p.m., I decided to go for a run. And the thing is, I haven't gone for a run since I broke my foot three years ago. And when I broke my foot, my ankles felt really weak or sore or I don't know. 
I bought a $1,000 fucking rowing machine because I wanted to do like a no-impact no or low-impact workout. And so I haven't been on a run for three years. And I was like, fuck it, I have running shoes. I live by the beach. Let's just go for a run. It's sunny outside. It's sunny and cool. It's like incredibly beautiful weather for running. And I go out there and I take like three steps and I'm just like, I can't do it. Like I, can't, I literally cannot run. And it's such a crazy thing to discover about yourself. And it's also because I bought these specific uh, boots for work that are really stiff. So they really lock my foot in place. So my ankle has gotten so much weaker, I think, from just wearing the same boot always. But it's such a crazy, like when you're already anxious and depressed and then you discover like an incredible limitation or problem in your physical body, there's something about like the limitations of the physicality of your body. And I really think that this is very gendered. I think women have to deal with this a lot more always. And men, you can go through your entire youth and just have no limitations and just feel invincible. And it's really, really jarring to realize that there are limitations. And it's like, it hit me spiritually really hard. I went for a 30-minute run, right? S meaning that I was outside for 30 minutes, walking around over and over, trying to be like, just like trying to run. And I run a few steps. And the pain is like so weird and sharp in my ankles that I could do like three steps. And then I have to walk. And then I try to walk on my toes to like build muscle, to build up strength. And then I could only do that for like three steps. And it's like running is such a basic, it's like drinking water or, you know, it's a form of transportation. It's like one of the things humans do to live. The idea that I can't run, like that if there was a tiger chasing me and I had to run, if anything bad happens and I have to run, I can't. Like the idea that I can't run is crazy to me. I'm handicapped. I should have a handicap placard. I should be able to park in the handicap spot. I'm handicapped. So yeah, I woke up and I wasn't doing good. And then I went for a run for some self-care. And then I realized that I, and like, I didn't know this about myself. It's crazy. I didn't like try. I haven't tried running for so long that I didn't know this. And yeah. So yeah, that was that was like a weird, it connects so deeply to your psychology to realize that your body is broken. It makes you aware of your mortality, I guess. So I guess I have to like work on that and figure out how to move my body again. It's like I'm not in bad shape. I just apparently can't run. Maybe I'm in horrible shape actually. Yeah, and then I come home and I was just like on my computer and fucking on YouTube for like hours. And then I had this one thought that, okay, I I had so many things I needed to do. Like I need to go wash my car because my car is crazy looking and I need to tidy up the house and I need to record a podcast and I need to get a haircut and I need to find an apartment and I need to go to the laundromat to do laundry. And then you had so many things I need to do and I couldn't do any of it. And then I just realized that I couldn't do any of it. And I just had this idea that like, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. Cause it's gonna be a hard reset if it works out. I'm gonna go to the movies because going to the movies breaks the two second cycle of two second attention span 
TikTok, fucking Instagram distraction stuff. It's like a hard, like blackout reset where you sit in a room and you cannot be on your phone because people will see that you're on your phone, so you won't. And you just immerse yourself in the fucking story of a movie and you do it, you know? It's like a non-negotiable. You enter this liminal, it's really not called a liminal space, but let's let's just pretend that it's called a liminal space. Just be nice to me. You enter this like non-negotiable liminal space where everyone comes together and decides as a group that we're going to do this one thing. We're going to watch this movie and we're all going to hold each other accountable. And if anyone gets on their phone, we're going to do something about it. That's the social contract of the movie theater. And so I go and I watch Poor Things with Emma Stone. I don't know anything about it. I just know that I love Emma Stone. I love Emma Stone in Maniac. I love her taste. I love when she's depressed. I love it. And I watch it, and and then I realize afterwards that it's actually a fucking new Greek, Greek weird, new weird. This is the this is like a weird, very small subgenre of movies that the lobster and the killing of a sacred deer. It's all by this fucking Giannis Yapanopoulos fucking Greek name guy. And the movie is incredible. It's so incredibly visually beautiful at times some parts of it are really shitty it's not as good as the lobster but it was like super horrible horrifying some parts were horrifying and then it's also beautiful and then it's also very immersive and it just worked and then I walked out of there and I just realized that it just came to me the answer just came to me the answer is discipline I just need to come back to discipline I need to like go have the discipline to go to bed early. I need to have the discipline to do certain forms of self-care. I need to have the discipline to decide on my entertainment. My entertainment cannot be watching YouTube shorts on my phone. I have to I have to allow myself entertainment probably more actually because the problem is that I haven't even been making time for entertainment properly. So I've had zero downtime. I've just like been working and the job is like, there's a hundred people that might come to me with a question. 50 of them, I have to know how to do their job. So I have to like learn everything that it is to be a server in this like incredibly intense, one of the, I mean the highest level, one of the highest level restaurants in America. And I have to learn how to be a food runner in there. And I have to learn how to be a bartender in there. And each job individually is a very, very challenging job. And I have to be decent at every single job to be able to manage all these people. And it's just incredibly difficult. And I've spent so much time and mental effort and spiritual effort studying for it. And I've spent a lot of time in the building. And I'm built for it. I will be perfectly fine doing it. It's going to work out. It's like... This is my calling, you know? It's the one thing I know how to do. Hospitality management. I wish something else was my calling. It's not a very good calling, but it's, it's you know, it's the one thing I make, I can make it look easy, bro. I can make it look so easy. And, and they've cycled through a lot of managers in the last few years because people keep failing or giving up and stuff. And I just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this work. And, um... Outside of that, I've just been looking for an apartment. And then it's been too much, and I've been 
falling into involuntary recovery, self-care entertainment, Instagram, death spirals. Whereas I should be picking, I decided to like, I'm going to just pick a real TV show that I never watched, like The Sopranos or Veep or, you know, True Detective, something I never never got into, Community. And I'm just going to start episode one and I'm just going to have that be my thing for a little bit. Just like a real form of entertainment. And then I'm going to have the discipline to only do that as entertainment. And I'm going to take care of my body because I, you know, it's crazy when you go to a new place. And a big part of what this move has been for me is that I have to learn this big menu. And then there's also a pizza place menu and also a bakery menu. And I have to learn, I have to know everything about these concepts. So I'm eating everything in these, I'm eating only things on 131 Anacapa Street. (laughs) And it's like, it's so funny because... If you think of a, like, you know, when you have a dog and you change his diet, he's going to get the shits, you know? And I didn't get the shits, but I feel funny. And it's so, if you think about it, it's so logical because it's like, I used to eat stuff and I had a rhythm of what I ate and my biome was used to like this certain library of things and then you t- 20% of it is new all the time because I always go and try new stuff but 80% of it is like the, no- the the normal stuff you know from work and I would eat the same breakfast foods at home and now I replaced all of that was completely new it's just executive chef Jason Paluska's ouvre start to finish every single day I consume nothing that was not prepared by executive chef Jason Paluska <laughs> from all of his concepts i wake up i go i get a latte from helena avenue bakery might get a fucking turkey turkey sandwich from there and then we do family meal at 4 p.m and the family is fire and then i do management shift meal at night you know salmon skin on you know olive top and not on there flat leaf italian parsley like the food is i cannot exaggerate how good the food is the food is so good the food is like ridiculously good and it's so crazy because chef is like a perfectionist which usually means that you get nothing done that's how i'm used to perfectionism working out and here instead it's perfectionism where I just got distracted because I saw this like USB cord connected to my computer and I'm like, what is that USB cord? Where does that go? And I'm like, it's the fucking microphone, you idiot. (laughs) I'm so confused. Oh God, I'm so fucking low functioning and confused. So I'm used to perfectionism being that you get nothing done. But here instead, we have a perfectionist who has like... 100 people beneath him executing on his vision and he is executing on perfection and he's reaching perfection like the floor in there the floor in the kitchen is so clean every towel is so clean everyone works clean and you he walks through the whole property and he sees these tiny things that aren't perfect and he's like that that's not what's going on that's not very good and then people fix it and it's like 
you hover at 99.8% perfection and then he walks up to the 0.02 thing that's percent thing that's not perfect and he's like what what are you doing here like you, what what the fuck is this shit and then you fix it and then you get back to perfection and then it's like you stay, it's like how does someone get on a roll like this how does someone get to live within perfection i have never seen this before i mean i actually i have on smaller scales it's just like a very impressively large scale to like I think Sushi Kaputomura was someone who um, <clears throat> managed to execute on their own food vision and get to perfection. And just every single thing is like, yeah, the right answer is this. So we're going to do this. And you you cut no corners and everything is perfect. But it was small, you know. It's like three sushi chefs that stand shoulder to shoulder with each other. And they have like four people behind them. And that's the whole cooking crew, you know. That's the whole vision. And sure, it's expensive what they put out, but it's not big. It's not that many seats. And this thing that we're working on now is like, man, this thing is big, dude. It's a whole city block. It's a whole city block converted into all these businesses. And they're all connected in this like maze-like labyrinths. And I have to make it all work. And it's like thrilling. And it's incredibly, it's an honor. <laughs> it's an honor to be in there dude the food is so good it's incredible like these salads like god the color just like you take a blue plate and then you take like a perfect bright burnt umber sauce and you do a perfect circle of burnt umber sauce on a bright blue porcelain plate and then you put like sugar snap peas on there and then you put sheep's milk feta crumbled over that and then you just hit it with like puffed wild rice and like all of the colors of the build are so beautiful. And then you eat it and it's like, motherfucker, those things come together so good. And a lot of it is like, it doesn't even sound that good to me. Like I walked up to the pizza place and I was like, what, which pizza is the most popular? And they tell me it's the butternut squash one. And I'm like, dude, butternut squash on a pizza? I don't want that, but it's like, fine, I'm here to learn. I mean, I need to know about all the food, so give me the butternut squash pizza. And it's so good. It's like hazelnuts and like tarragon and butternut squash. And I can't even remember what the copa is the meat. I don't even remember what the cheese was. Incredible contrast. In every bite, it's like perfect amount of oil, perfect amount of salt and acid. It's just like so fire, dude. It's so fire. It's so incredible. But yeah, so to execute on his vision, I need to take care of myself so that I can be a good cog in his machinery. And I haven't been taking care of myself. So I'm bringing it back to basics. I went to the grocery store. I got some baby carrots. I always need to have baby carrots in the diet. I always need to have sugar in the form of dark chocolate. So I got my bananas. I got my yogurt. I got my dark chocolate on honeycomb. I got my baby carrots. You know, <clears throat> I'm going to have some muesli in the morning. I'm going to take care of my biome. I'm slowly gonna I'm do some I'm gonna do some squats in the apartment. I'm slowly gonna build up strength in my ankles. I'm gonna take care of my body. I'm gonna find an apartment. The whole thing is gonna work out. I'm gonna ex I'm so close to 
I'm, it's because I'm on the cusp of everything working out that I'm not doing good at all. And like, here's how, th- like, oh God, here's like, for example, a thing about things not going good. Like, this is my mental state not being in good shape. Like, one one of these nights this week, I wake up at 5 a.m. And I just wake up and I'm like, bro, I'm going to Thailand on the 25th. I don't actually know where my passport is. Because my passport is in a sort of fireproof bag. It's like some th- bullshit thing they did on Shark Tank where they call it the good stuff. And it's like this sleeve made of like, it's supposed to make it everything what's in the sleeve is completely safe. So I put my passport in the sleeve and then I put the sleeve in my backpack. And then I'm laying there in bed at 5 a.m. And I'm like, dude, I didn't see my backpack in the storage unit. I don't know that my backpack is in the storage unit. So I can't fucking sleep. So I just lay there in bed and I can't sleep. And I'm like, I have to go to the storage unit in the morning before work and look through the storage unit and find the backpack. It has to be under something, maybe on the couch in the storage unit. And I'm freaking out and I can't sleep. And I got like two hours of sleep that night. And then in the morning, I I get out of bed and I feel horrible. And I go to the storage unit and I'm looking and I'm so like assuming that I'm just being crazy and that, that it's in there that I'm... I'm not super anxious walking into the storage unit. I'm just annoyed that I haven't slept and that the whole that it's so hard to have your whole life be uprooted and boxed up and bagged up and shoved into a storage unit and then to have in your head where everything is because you don't have fucking compartments for stuff yet. You don't have a home. It's so mentally taxing to keep in your head where all your belongings are. And so I get to the storage unit. And when I get in there, I really start to panic because the backpack just isn't in there. So I'm like, okay, well, I know that I put it in the front seat of my truck when I drove down to Santa Barbara. So did someone steal it out of the front seat of my truck? Because it's like a cool looking black backpack that looks like it's got something expensive in it. Did someone steal my backpack and I didn't even notice? And I'm looking through the storage unit with a flashlight flashlight and I'm freaking out and and it's like first I walked in there all casual and I was wearing sunglasses so I'm like searching through the storage unit in the dark with sunglasses on and then I panic and I'm like what the fuck do I have sunglasses on what the fuck is going on here so I go back to my car and I get my real glasses and I put my glasses on I go back in there and I look through it and it's not in it's not in the fucking storage unit so I drive all the way back home and I look in my bedroom and there's the fucking backpack dude It was on the floor in the bedroom the whole time. At 5 a.m. when I woke up and had the thought, I could have just looked over and seen the backpack and known that the passport was in there. Like, dude, check yourself, dude. I'm like, that kind of shit. And then I didn't, like, that. and then I had a horrible day of not having slept and my brain is all mushy, you know, trying to absorb like a thousand pieces of information. And my brain is just mush. Okay, that's like such a symptom of me just like not doing good. And then, okay, so changing the topic now. Then there's this other thing that's been going on that for some reason, it's been going on for a long, for a while actually, but for some reason it's hitting me really hard now that I'm like a little bit lonely and sad and depressed. It's it's actually that, it's actually a big part of my loneliness because 
so much of me always moving around to different places has meant that I've ended up with these friends that are like on my phone, that are on the other side of earth. So wherever I move to, I have them to talk to. And it's like, not the best because you don't get to see them in real life, but at least it's like this consistent real friendship that you have over like a decade or more. And so I have this one friend and it's like, we've been friends for so long and I'm friends with her and I'm friends with her husband. And then this thing happened where like, she like cheated on her husband a bunch and she was telling me about it for a year and a half as it was happening. And I kind of went along with some psychosis there where she was minimizing it as a thing that was like, not going to be that big of a deal. And I never figured out a way to say to her, like, is this a good idea without, I just sounded whiny. Whenever I was like, trying to express my discomfort of saying, I don't think this makes so much sense because you like actually love your husband and stuff. <clears throat> it didn't work. I didn't know how to express that. So I just sounded negative. I just sounded like a bad friend. I just sounded unsupportive. That's how, that's the dynamic that um, developed over a few because it was like a two-year thing. Like it started with just emotional infidelity of just like having someone from the past that she had a crush on and then reaching out to that person and then talking to that person on the phone for a long time. And then having sexual feelings towards this person on her phone and telling me about it and then acting upon it and traveling to act upon it. And then... You know, it's hard. What do you say? Like when you, when there's a marriage with no sex, like are, are people not supposed to have sex? And sex is so interesting because you lose your mind, you know? Like the drift of sanity when you're not having sex is cannot be discounted. Like I know this in myself, like like when for for periods when like there was a period when I took myself out of the dating pool for a year. And so I didn't have sex for almost a year. And I was at Holbrook and I was working and I'm managing people and I'm like people's boss. And it's like really important that I don't say anything inappropriate. It's very important that I just keep it workplace appropriate because whatever, I, if I say something even even acknowledging the existence of sexuality, people will take that as a permission to go a hundred times worse and to do something super inappropriate. Because you have to, it's something that, it took me a while to learn this. It was a process for me to learn it, but, but that's how it is. And it was so challenging for me to, I, had to, I constantly had to catch myself because it's like, when you're not having sex, your brain goes a little bit crazy. And you just want to say out loud sexual in innuendos for everything. It's just like I've seen it in so many people where it's like the people that who, who for ev everything to them, it's a sex joke. Those people are not having sex. And then people who have enough sex and just are in a good relationship or something, just in a healthy, functional monogamous relationship 
those people can be so much more chill and they're so much more peaceful in being asexual in a professional place. And it's so, and I always hated those people who couldn't do that, those people who couldn't be appropriate. And it's so interesting to observe it in yourself of like, I'm really, like my brain is coming up with only inappropriate things to say now. And it's like, I can't say anything. Like I'm having to, I'm having to never say anything because all the ideas that I'm having for stuff to say, it's just like boring sex jokes that will sexualize anything. And it's because I haven't had sex for like seven months. And, you know, it's a version of that to be married to someone and to not have sex for like, not properly have sex for years. The way the drift, the way how your mind drifts away from sanity without you even noticing yourself, it's... It's it's very, I mean, it's so fundamental. Sexuality is so fundamental to a human being that, you know, how am I going to blame someone for doing a thing for infidelity when, when they're not getting, you know, basic needs met? So I just didn't know how to bring it up. I didn't know how to, but but the sad thing is that I always felt that like, you know, I'm friends with this person and she's cheating on her husband and I'm friends with the husband and I just knew subconsciously that I will never be friends with the husband again. Like the fact that she's cheating on him and I'm and I know it is a thing that will permanently end my friendship with him. And I, f- I was very sad to know that. But the thing that's really sad that has now happened is that it also ended my friendship with her. And, you know, I'm not friends with her anymore. And it's like, I, I grieve. I, there's so much grief in my heart over that. And I get it. I really get it. Because there's something about, there's something, first of all, there's something about having a friend that's just on your phone that's living in a different country and you just talk to them in like sparse fucking texting and voice messages and stuff there's something very ignorable in that and there's something very like it's a little bit hard to face it and to get caught up and it's a little bit it's a little bit hard to get to the mind space where you can connect with something because it takes kind of a lot of work to people don't get this people will email you and then you won't respond and then they'll be mad at you but but what you have to understand about what we should all accept about what it means to correspond with someone who's not sitting across from you at a table is that it it takes quite a bit of spiritual work to conjure up the image of the other person in your heart so that you can remember your relationship to them so that you can relate to them. Like if they're just sitting in front of you, the conjuring happens automatically. You don't need to conjure. The person is right there. But if you have to write an email to a friend in a different country, there's quite a bit of like spiritual legwork that needs to happen for you to like bring the image of the person up and remember how you feel about them and remember what you want to say to them and remember what attitude and what posture you know, that you adopt towards them. And all of that is quite hard. And if there is this block of like all this pain in like having done this thing that's bad and your husband is pissed off and like 
cutting me out of it, I understand that I'm so related to so much pain there that I completely understand. I completely understand that I'm gone from this person's life forever. But I'm incredibly sad. It makes me incredibly sad. It hurts my feelings. Like it's so, it's so hard. I'm so like, I have so few friends now. And I'm in this new place and I don't know anyone here. And I have these people that I can talk to that are like recent friends and stuff. And it's like, it makes me feel like not myself, you know? I need to reach out to someone. And then I've been thinking about reaching out to Dr. Luke. <clears throat> and Dr. Luke, I know you're listening and I know I want you to know that I love you. And then I, because I cut him out of my life because... <clears throat> we were always fighting and our friendship only exists within the four walls of the podcast. You know, our, our friendship only exists for two hours or an hour and a half on Saturdays when I release a new episode. And I've been thinking about reaching out to him because I'm lonely, but it feels rude. It feels rude to have it be something where I'm only reaching out to him because I'm lonely and because I need him now. And like I rejected him when, when I was, you know, but maybe, maybe it's, maybe that's a very black and white way to think about it. And maybe it's more grayscale and maybe it's more like some time has passed and, and maybe I could try to be friends with him again. And I, I miss him a lot, man. I miss that guy a lot. We, you know, I hope he's doing good. I know he is. I know he's doing good in the stuff that matters. You know, I know he's doing good in the stuff that matters. Anyway, Dr. Luke, if you're if you're listening to this and you <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny to say this on the podcast, but hey, Lukey boy, if you're listening to this and you want to be friends with me, hey, shoot me an email. Let's do it. If you're not offended by the idea of me wanting to be friends with you just because other people abandoned me. It's rude. It sounds rude when you say it like that. It's rude. And I don't mean it rude. I mean it as my heart is open, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I get it if, if he doesn't like the way that sounds. I get that completely. Anyway, let's drink the water. Okay, so this water comes with a little bit of a story where it's like, um, so I live in an apartment above Lokita, and Lokita is one block from the Lark where I work, and one block from both of these places is, there's a strip club, and it's called Spearmint Rhino, and I saw that there was a strip club, and I think it's funny to go to strip clubs sometimes to just look at some girl shake her, shake her boobs and stuff. But I immediately dis, uh, was like, um, what's it called? Disregarded the idea of going because I'm like, it's so fucking close to my work. It's the most ridiculous idea ever. And sometimes when you go to a strip club, there's like just a gaggle of like Mexican dudes just kind of like sitting around being funny, uh, throwing ones around. And I worried that if I go, maybe there's a gaggle of Mexican dudes and maybe some of them work at my work. And I got worried about this weird feeling of like, what if they recognize me and I don't recognize them? Because there's so many 
I'm meeting so many new people and there's a lot of Mexican dudes that don't speak English and it's hard for me to get to know them because they don't speak English and I need to learn Spanish, bro. But so it's like, <laughs> I just was worried about this thing of looking at someone and looking at some dudes in a strip club and them looking at me and pointing at me and then I'm being like, do you work at my work? And then the next day being like, they don't really acknowledge it, but I'm looking at them like, were you there? And then they like oh, talk amongst themselves in Spanish and I'm like, and then everyone who speaks Spanish is like, yeah, that dude, saw that dude over there. But it's also like, bro, if I'm there, you're there. Like, are you going to shit on me for being there? You were there too. <laughs> but anyway, I just didn't want like, first of all, we don't need to be going to strip clubs. It's all good. You know what I'm saying? Um, and also, it's too close to my work. You know, it's all good. But then the bouncer of the strip club came into work and gave us a stack of business cards with his signature on them saying that um, we get in for free. And I'm like, oh, dude, okay, well, it's one block away and I get in for free. I mean, I guess I could check it out, you know, twist my arm. <laughs> twist my arm, dude. <laughs> so fucking funny. <laughs> okay, so I'm like... I don't know that I need to be going to the strip club. But then last night, I'm like, um, last night I get home from work and my work week is kind of over and I'm chilling at the house. And I'm, I, I just have this thought right before, like it's like 12.30 a.m. or something. And I have this thought where I'm like, fuck, I forgot to finish a thing on the computer. I left all this shit open in the, POS system in the point of sale system like there are all these tabs of like sh shit I ordered for myself and for other people that I never closed it out I never figured out the payment for it I never hit the buttons and either I could email the person who's going to work tomorrow and be like hey this tab needs to be figured out like this and this tab needs to be figured out like this or I have the keys I'm the manager I live one block away I could just walk out the door and just fix it so at fucking 1 a.m. I'm back at work just like on the computer fixing shit on the computer and it's so tight we have this like cleaning crew that comes through every night and like mop the whole place and clean the bathrooms and it's so good it's like how you do it you know good good cleaning crew in the middle of the night very cool so I'm chilling there with the guy mopping and then as I'm walking out of it I'm like okay so I guess now I'm going to the strip club because now I had to leave the house and it's right there. So I walk across the street, I walk in and I give the guy the card and I'm like, can I get him for free with this card? And he's like, yeah, but there's a one drink minimum. So you have to pay 10 bucks. And then he started apologizing a lot for that. And that was the whole vibe in there. Everyone, it, it, the whole thing was like, it's a scam and we're going to be apologizing the whole time for how it's a scam. And it made it so awkward and, the, and then all there was a couple of frat dudes in there, and then they left. And then it's like, dude, I'm alone. Uh, and it's like, and they, it's like dancer after dancer, and I'm like throwing ones, and they like do eye contact the whole time, and there's no one else in the room, and they're like not that pretty, and they're like really skinny, 
You know that thing that fucking Tyler, Tyler, the creator said about fucking Kendall Jenner, where it's like, he's like, deepest voice ever. And he goes, <laughs> Kendall ain't got no ass. Kendall better shake them bones. That's always what I think about when a very, very skinny, malnourished stripper is shaking them bones with no ass. It's like, bro, what are we doing here? Like, shouldn't you, shouldn't you get a different job maybe? Like, like, I don't want to be rude, you know, but like, what are we doing here? And then I feel bad. So then I tip her more, throw more ones in there. And the whole thing was so awkward. And everyone comes up to me and it's like, you want to dance? And they were like, so not chill about it. So pushy and rude and weird. And then um, the server came up and was like, you want a drink? And I was like, and they don't have alcohol. And I'm like, yeah, I want a sparkling water. And she comes over with a bottle of Perrier. And I was expecting a check, but it was actually, the system was apparently that the $10 I gave the bouncer was for this Perrier. So this is the water that we're reviewing this week. <laughs> we're reviewing this Perrier from the strip club last night. Dude, it was so awkward. I walked out of there just feeling like, oh, God, so bad. Just like really, really bad small talk, and really you get you you look at someone and they try to smile and you can just tell that they just hate being there, and it's just like oh god, that makes me hate being here. Like I hate being here more than you now. Okay, so let's let's smell it. Yeah, it smells. Oh oh, it smells like citrus. No, does it smell like citrus? Uh, no. This is unflavored. Perrier. Yeah, that's actually very nice. It's um, it's um, <clears throat> a little bit. Um, it's a little bit watery. Very few bubbles because I opened it yesterday and nervously had a sip while being in the strip club. Spent about twenty minutes in there. Spent about eighty dollars. Turned them all into ones. Threw them all on the stage, and then I left probably never going back the water though that's an eight out of ten that's an eight out of ten that's delicious that's very refreshing uh what else is going on <clears throat> okay here's a totally separate here's a totally different thing he so i'm i'm in this place right i drive down here i have a little bit of time off here and there and i'm trying to figure out where to park my car and i'm spending a lot of time moving my car because there's places where you can stay unlimited between 9 a.m. and midnight. So I can put my car there all day. But then when midnight hits, I have to move it. And then there's other places where you can be at night, but after 9 a.m. you can only be there for an hour. So I have to move it at 10 a.m. So I keep like going over there at 10 a.m. to get my car and put it in the other spot. And I have different spots that I move it between, right? So there's a lot of fucking walking around between these stupid parking spots. And then... At one point, between my two parking spots, I see this tree. Now, it's very hard for me to describe this, but it's like, it's one of the biggest trees I've ever seen. And it has a branch sticking out of the side of it that's big like a bus. It's big like a school bus. And because it's so big and heavy, it's hanging down. It's like thicker than the branch, only the branch. Not the, the trunk is enormously wide but the branch is so big that like 
bigger than most trees, thicker than most trees, big like a bus. And the branch is heavy and hanging down, only almost touching the ground. And it's long. It's a long branch. It's like 60 feet or something. And it's thick as fuck. And so I'm looking at this tree and this tree is like insanely mystical and magical and old and big. It's like just one of the biggest fucking trees I've ever seen in my life with this branch that's just like, there's something about, you know, cause like there's redwoods, right? That are like the tallest trees ever. And you look at them and they're so tall that you can't even really figure out how tall they are. They just seem like infinitely tall and they are very thick and it's cool how thick they are. But a much more mystical feeling tree to me is actually these, um, let me Google what they're called. There's a there's an island um, outside of, okay, so there's a city in Southern China called Xiamen. It's a big tourist paradise kind of thing because it's jungly and tropical and warm. And there's a little island outside of it called Gulanyu, just off the coast of Xiamen in Fujian province. And Gulanyu is famous for like old Portuguese colonial era buildings and these very specific trees. Okay, I googled it. The trees are called banyan trees, B-A-N-Y-A-N. Um, and the, the cool thing about it, it's a thick, weird, spiny trunk. And then it's thick branches sticking straight out. But then it has this cool feature of like, there's like hair hanging down there's like roots that shoot from the branches straight down so it's just had this has this like weird mystical thing of how it goes back down on the ground so it becomes this like weird interconnected thing where you can't really tell where the main trunk is because it's connected to the ground all over the place and there's something really beautiful and weird and green and really sort of anime fucking, you know, Ghibli Studio Ghibli Miyazaki bullshit kind of like magical Asian vibe about it that's really beautiful. And this tree that I'm seeing here in Santa Barbara between my two parking spots, it really reminds me of that. And there's something about how this tree trunk that's big as a fucking bus hangs down and almost touches the ground. It's something about that that's just like, there's a magic to it that really fucking speaks to me. And, and the tree is so big, but the, here's the thing. The tree is like behind a train. It's crammed in between the train station, which is full of homeless people and the highway, which is just like high chain fence, super noisy, just like 16 lanes of traffic of heavy traffic just going. So it's like the least picturesque spot in the whole world. It's such a, like a dreary, urban, horribly ugly location. And the tree has rented chain link fences around it, like broken rented chain link fences that say like Marburg fence rental. And, and like, it's the least, the framing of this beautiful tree is so ugly. Like, the tree is not a respected tree. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's in a horrible location. I mean, not that you can move a tree, but, but like, the location sucks. And it just has this, like, broken fencing around it that just makes it look like a construction site that's, like, abandoned. And so I'm looking at this tree, and as I'm walking past it over and over because I'm moving my 
truck, literally I'm moving it like one spot is 70 feet away from the tree one way and the other spot is 50 feet away from the tree the other way. So I'm walking past the tree every single time I have to move my truck for parking reasons just to get free parking. And I'm looking at this tree and it's like, there's some magic to it. And I'm looking at it and it's like such a like weirdly mystical experience. So, so like after a few times I just stopped and I like really looked at it and like really tried to like take in this the sheer size of this thing. And then a few days later, I'm on YouTube and I'm like, okay, fine. I've been in I've been in Santa Barbara for 10 days, whatever. Maybe I should just know some shit about Santa Barbara. So I go on YouTube and I'm like searching Santa Barbara and I'm searching like things to do in Santa Barbara, things you should know about Santa Barbara. And I'm learning about the Chumash people that used to fucking live here. And you know what I find interesting about Native Americans? They always did acorns. Acorns was like a staple of their diet. Whatever happened with that? Like why haven't... That was a staple for them, and I've never even had it. Why hasn't anyone, why is there no hipster restaurant that's like trying to revive acorns as like turn it into a loaf of bread where acorns was the base or a noodle or like a porridge? I'm sure you could do a million things with it and just have acorns be the base, and then you hit it with like five interesting contrasting things on top, and it's like cool, and it's like referential to the Chumash thing or, you know, why is that not a thing? But anyway, so I'm on YouTube and I'm learning about Santa Barbara. And then I get to this video where it's like 15 things you should watch, you should go see in Santa Barbara. And then the video kind of sucks and it's very geared towards children. It's like a children's museum and it's like the wharf, which is exactly where I live. And it's, it's all good. You know, like I want to know about the things, even if they're for children, so I can like recommend it to people and just know about it. I just, I'm watching the 17 minute video. And then thing number nine in the video is like the biggest ficus tree in America. And it's my fucking tree, bro. It's the tree that I've had this like magical weird kinship with. The tree that I found, the tree that like is forgotten about between crammed in between the overpass and the homeless encampment. My tree is in the video. And it really... I find this so fucking interesting because there's something about framing and there's something about enjoying something because you're told to enjoy it versus organically finding something. And it's really, there's so much in there because I've done it wrong my entire life. And the thing I always come back to is like when I was 17, I was dating Hannah Führer, this German girl who went to school in Sweden. And then after we graduated high school, she moved to Paris. And so I would go visitor and so i go to paris and i go to the louvre and i go and i look at the mona lisa and when i'm standing there looking at the mona lisa i'm like bro am i am i enjoying this like it, it this is this giving me anything like i'm looking at it and it's like it's literally behind tinted glass and it's small and it's a woman's face with a dull sort of army green landscape behind it and she's sort of smiling and it's really like how did we get here like who fucking decided that this is the painting you know who fucking decided that it's the craziest thing 
the fact that she's like smiling with her eyes and not her mouth makes it the best painting ever. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, I keep asking myself this question, like I'm, I'm searching within my heart of like, is this, like, am I enjoying that? Like, is this a good way to spend my time? Like, is this good? Is what I want to know. And the truth is, the answer comes back inconclusive. And then I do this thing where I like grab a map of the Louvre from the, from the, I, sorry, I slid into a French accent there, from the information desk. And I, um, it's like three stories. It's like got all these wings. It's like thousands of pieces of art. And I spend a week staying at my um, girlfriend's house and she's working. And in the daytime when she's at work, I, I, I decide to look at every single piece of art in the Louvre. So I must have talked about this on the podcast before because it's such a weird, stupid thing. But, but so I have the map in paper and it's a big map and it's got every single room. And so I go into each room and I go left to right and I just look at each single piece of art. And then I tick off the room on the map with a pen. And it took me an entire week to look at every single piece of art on display in the Louvre. Now, of course, I understand that like 85% of stuff is in storage, like blah, blah, blah. That was only what was out that week, blah, blah, blah. I haven't seen everything, whatever. The point is that that was stupid. That was the wrong way. Because much, much, much later, three years ago, I read the book 4,000 Weeks, um, which I talked about on the podcast many, 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 many times. And there's one part of it where they talk about an art history teacher that gives the class an assignment. And the assignment is to go to pick a piece of art, go to a museum and look at the piece of art, a sculpture, a painting, whatever piece of art you want. Look at the same piece of art for three hours or four hours or something like that, multiple hours. And it's like, they describe this, journey of how in the beginning it's torture it's absolute torture because your brain is tiktok programmed your brain wants to look at the next thing that's what your brain is doing and then you keep looking at it and you hate it and you question everything about it and you think about everything else in your life and you think about everything else that you need to be doing and you hate the one you picked and you're like should i pick a different one should i change my mind should i go to a different one and then you keep looking at it. And then I got to do this exercise. I'm realizing that as I'm saying it now, because I still haven't done it, but I will now do it. Um, but so the point is that like, after 20 minutes or 30 minutes, you break through and then you start looking at it and you start noticing something. And then you, things happen because like the classical, like a real painting from 300 years ago that we view as a masterpiece those things were the movies of their day where there was so much to look at and so much to decipher and so many tensions between the characters and so many details because there could be a hundred people in the painting and each person had something going on, their own motivation and their whole thing. Like the best paintings were the movies. And then <clears throat> they just describe in this exercise of how, you know, after a while you break through and it turns into a movie where you like, notice new things every 10 minutes you've looked at the same thing for two hours but now you realize that like you just realize something new about one of the characters and there's something there about like 
maturity and adopting the correct attitude when enjoying a piece of art and choosing what piece of art to enjoy or what piece of beautiful thing and not because my whole life I lived life as this thing of like I'm just doing it to impress other people I'm just looking at I'm just going to the Mona Lisa room to just fucking tell people that I saw the Mona Lisa and it's like there's something I need to I need to figure out anonymity or something I need to just be a different person because when you, when I see something beautiful like this tree, there is something in my heart where it's possible for me to enjoy something beautiful. And then when you tell me in a, in a pamphlet that I'm in Santa Barbara and I should go see these 10 things you have to, in a listicle, 10 things you have to do in Santa Barbara and it's the biggest ficus tree in America. Now I'm like, now it turns into this bucket list thing. Now it turns into this bragging thing. And it's like, I need to learn how to do things and enjoy things in secret. Because if I do them, and as I'm walking into it, as I'm walking into the experience, I make a pact with myself that I will never tell anyone that I'm doing this. Then it will become, God, I'm developing this theory as I'm saying it. If I promise myself, so I'm going to pick a piece of art and I'm going to walk into it promising myself that I will never tell anyone about what I experience here looking at this piece of art. And then because it will have that framing, I will then enjoy it for itself. And then I will spend two or three hours looking at the same painting. And then... I will never, t and then, you know, the thing is, if I can figure out how to actually enjoy it afterwards, I can tell people about it. That that doesn't really hurt the process if I just f figure out a mindset, if the promise of telling, yeah, no, I should not tell anyone actually, because I can't, it, it, it needs to be black and white here. It needs to be black and white. We can't negotiate with ourselves like this. This needs to be, this needs to be for reals, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's the episode I kind of like ran out of steam right there. So, you know, I don't know. You're just with me here. You're with me and I appreciate it.